In this episode of Studying Sacred Scripture, we look at Hadith 62 of Riyadh Salihin from the chapter on watchfulness. This is a very curious, interesting, medium-sized tradition of the beloved Prophet ﷺ in which he talks to a 10-year-old, teaching him about some really deep topics of our creed. The main theme, however, would be safeguarding our religion as a whole will ensure you being safeguarded by the Lord of the worlds. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem bismillahir rahmanir rahim Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Wa salatu wa salamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursaleen Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'ina wa ba'd Ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban bikum This is our second session after a really long time we are reading a hadith mainly, the beautiful sayings of our beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from Riyadh Salihin. A truly magnificent book, I have to say. And we are on Babur Muraqaba, which is the book on watchfulness. Alhamdulillah, last session we managed to introduce this concept because we had a long break. But today I would like to read one hadith only, which is hadith number 62 of the book. And Ibn Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhuma is the narrator, the rawi of this hadith and it's very important because he was like a small young boy at the time when this particular story or incident uh, took place. And I'm sure most of you have heard of this hadith. Uh, I want you to listen to the Arabic version. I want you to have a taste of what it sounded like on the noble and blessed tongue of our beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we also again have like various versions of this hadith that are mentioned, uh, one after the other, as Imam Nawawi rahmatullah alayhi put together. And then we need to study this hadith. We need to look at it a little bit deeper. And there are some terms I want to make sure that you understand them properly in Arabic, but in English as well. So, الثالث عن ابن عباس رضي الله تعالى عنهما قال كنت خلف النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يوما فقال يا غلام إني أعلمك كلمات احفظ الله يحفظك احفظ الله تجده تجاهك إذا سألت فاسأل الله وإذا استعنت فاستعن بالله واعلم أن الأمة لو اجتمعت على أن ينفعوك بشيء لم ينفعوك إلا بشيء قد كتبه الله لك وإن اجتمعوا على أن يضروك بشيء لم يضروك إلا بشيء قد كتبه الله عليك رفعت الأقلام وجفت الصحف رواه الترمذي وقال عنه حديث حسن صحيح وفي رواية أخرى قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لابن عباس رضي الله تعالى عنهما احفظ الله تجده أمامك أمامك تعرف إلى الله في الرخاء يعرفك في الشدة وعلم أن ما أخطأك لم يكن ليصيبك وما أصابك لم يكن ليخطئك وعلم أن النصر مع الصبر 
مع الصبر وأن الفرج مع الكرب الفرج مع الكرب وأن مع العسر يسرا صدق رسول الله So this is the hadith really you can see it's slightly longer than, than hadith we read last time but we had several ayahs to read last time as well and explain So Ibn Abbas radiyallahu ta'ala anhuma he said one day I happened to ride behind the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he turned to me and he said oh boy so I was, he said I was riding behind the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he said to me oh boy Oh boy, yeah? So we have some boys in here, mashallah, some children. He said, I will teach you some words. I'll instruct you in some matters. You can translate like that. I'll teach you something. Some words. And then he said, very simple words, really. First he said, Be watchful of Allah. And he will look after you. And this is obviously the reason why this hadith is found in this particular chapter. Bab al-Muraqaba, watchfulness. And then he taught, this is like one phrase he taught him. Then he said something very beautiful and similar. Which means, safeguard Allah's rights, again, like, be watchful of Allah, be mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he will always be with you. And if you notice here, like the Prophet ﷺ twice used the same term because he wants to grab his attention and it will be easier for him to memorize. Because if I said to somebody, be mindful of Allah, and this is the consequence, the outcome, the result. Then I say again, be mindful of Allah. Again, you have this other benefit. It's easier for you to focus and memorize. So twice he begins by saying, Ihfadillah. And there's a huge significance in that. And then he said this. If you ask or beg, then beg from Allah alone. Ask Allah alone. If you need to ask for some assistance, some help, then ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, your, your Lord, your Master, to assist you. And then he said, and if you need more assistance, then pray to Allah, supplicate to Allah for help. So now you need more help, Allah will help you, He will be there for you. And then he said, and remember this as well, oh boy, if all the people gather together to bring you some benefit, to bring about some benefit, to benefit you, they won't be able to benefit you except with that that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written for you. Like they can't do anything to you without Allah's decree and permission. On the other hand, he said, if all people gather together to do you some kind of harm, to harm you in one way or another, Likewise, they won't be able to afflict you with any, anything other than what Allah has decreed for you. They won't be able to harm you without Allah's permission, or no harm, let's say, will touch you or come uh, upon you unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had willed so. And then he explained to him, this is like deeper theology now. We'll try to explain some of these things. I hope you'll be able to understand. 
he tried to explain to a 10-year-old boy. According to the commentators, scholars, Abdullah, who is the son of Abbas, Prophet's cousin, yeah, the son of Prophet's uncle. He was about 10 years old when the Prophet gave him this kind of teaching, instruction, deep theology. Okay? Then he said, alayhi salatu wasalam, رُفِعَتِ الْأَقْلَامِ الْأَقْلَامِ وَجَفَّتِ السُّحُفِ Okay? He said the pens had been lifted. Okay? And the ink had dried up. So he's trying to explain to him some kind of uh, what we say, al-qadaw al-qadr, the notion which is the hardest for human beings to explain. But he put it in, in like, you can say, figurative speech, something nice and easy. Okay, there's no more pens writing down anything. Like it's all been decided already. And the ink has dried. Therefore, what I told you in terms of benefit and harm won't change. It will be as I said. No one really can bring about any benefit to any one of us unless Allah wills so. And on the other hand, no one can bring any harm on us unless Allah wills so. But is it harm? Is it something that is really and truly harmful to us when it happens? Or is it something that we don't necessarily like and, and it's quite unpleasing to us? Whether it's harmful or not, we don't know, really. But in everything that comes our way, it seems, there is always some kind of benefit. Because whatever comes to us comes from Allah. And the other version, the other riwayah, narration says, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to, to him, he is the same rawi, the narrator. He said to him again, Ihfadillaha tajidhu amamak. Of course, these kind of things happen in hadith because the same rawi could have, nar have narrated this hadith to several people. And those of you who know Arabic language, you will be able to understand that tujahak means amamak. In fact, you will be very pleased to hear the second riwayah because it's more common than the first. Okay? Like, even, even if the Prophet ﷺ originally said to him tujahak, yeah, like he will be bijanbik, it means in language. Uh, he could have said to him again, the same, because he's a 10-year-old boy. So he wants him to make sure, he, he wanted to make sure he understood it. And he wants him to grasp this notion of ma'iyatullah, which we will also touch upon, which is not always easy to understand. So the meaning is safeguard the commandments of Allah. This is actually an explanation. Safeguard the commandments of Allah, you will find him before you. And then he said to him, remember Allah, him, capital H, in prosperity, and he will remember you in adversity. So if you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in good times, like you are ever conscious of Allah, you are all constantly aware and constantly engaged in, 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 in ibadah, Worshipping Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you really want his assistance and help, when somewhat, you can say, more difficult times come, then you will feel Allah's presence or help with you. And I really like this notion, like uh, most people, unfortunately, when, when there is some kind of ease, a breathing space, they also, you know, like they don't want to uh, accelerate anymore. They just take their foot off the gas 
and say, okay, I've done enough. But then when the calamity strikes and usually strikes all of a sudden, suddenly, oh, I called upon Allah. I want him immediately here, right, you know, with me. It's not really like that. You have to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all times and it will, Allah will manifest his uh, assistance, his help, his grace, his support towards you when you really feel down and you will feel it more than when you feel okay and, and the times are better. That's how it works. Otherwise, Allah is always there for us. So he said to him this, remember him in prosperity and he will remember you in adversity. And then I said, he said again, be sure that which, uh, be sure that which you miss was not to hit you. Okay, basically, what, whatever you missed, uh, it, was not, it was not meant for you. It wasn't destined for you. It wasn't to happen to you. And whatever hits you was never to miss you. Okay, I don't really like this English translation, to be honest with you. Uh, okay, uh, you can very literally say khatiyah means a kind of mistake and, and a hit, but not necessarily here. It just really means like uh, what you uh, didn't get hold of, you were never meant to get hold of it. And whatever you, pos- you know, managed to possess, to grab, it was always meant for you. It was destined for you. That's what it really means. Okay, I think the reason why they translated this heavy is because asabak, musib, and khati, and all that. But I don't see this hadith in this particular way. This is how the commentators have explained it. And then the last part of this narration says, Remember also that the help of Allah is obtained with patience. So this is very interesting actually. Uh, because when you read in the Quran, when we all read in the magnificent Quran, Indeed, victory comes from Allah. Any kind of triumph, win, victory, will come from Allah SWT. It's like from Allah. But how do you achieve uh, a victory? with patience, by being patient, forbearing. Like, you have to be resilient, you can't give up. As soon as it becomes more like awkward, more difficult than what you expected, you just suddenly give up. You're not gonna win. <laughs> you lose every match you start playing. Every project you, you, you embark on, you start, if you're not patient until its completion, you won't accomplish it. That's how it is. So the real triumph and victory is with so much of patience, sabr. وَأَنَّ الْفَرَجَ I like this one very much. وَأَنَّ الْفَرَجَ مَعَ الْكَرْبِ How many times I had to contemplate deep and deep about this phrase, this statement of our beloved Prophet ﷺ, this sentence, which is very striking, amazing. He said, والسلام, prosperity follows adversity subhanallah so it seems like uh, we won't achieve things we won't prosper unless we had uh, difficulty calamity that fell on our shoulders so 
Subhanallah, it's amazing. And it seems it is like that. This, these are the sayings of the Prophet Nobody, you know, it's not like somebody that, that did, did a lot of, you know, social kind of social science studies, yeah? Collected data and analyzed them and they said, oh, it definitely happens like that. This is like ilham from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when we think about it, I'm sure all of us were in some kind of adversity, okay? Uh, Al-Karb. So it does seem that prosperity follows adversity. Uh, you have to face some difficulties and the faraj will come there. And that's where the real prosperity lies. That's the real prosperity because you, uh, you withheld uh, with patience over it. And that's why you prospered a lot. You can also say here, like the true uh, ribah comes only if you actually worked really, really hard in your business. Like it was not a very easy kind of business. That's why Islam will never allow earning money easily, like riba, for example, or you know, buying and selling currencies, and it goes up and nobody knows the real, real reasons, and there's like hundreds of plus reasons why you know, the market goes up and down. It's all in a way secretive, volatile, and difficult, but there's some really terribly rich people who are making money for doing what? Nothing. Exploiting people's fear, anxious, and propaganda. Oh, invest here because it's going to be the very big next thing. Millions and millions of people follow that. They invest. Then they do something. It falls down. All except a few lose heavily. Those few <laughs> profited because they played the game. That's how it is. So here it looks like prosperity follows ad adversity. Remember that. And hardship is followed by ease. Of course, the Prophet ﷺ, he ended this statement by this sentence, I would say, uh, rightly so, because I wouldn't want to encourage you and I don't want you to misunderstand this particular advice or saying of the Prophet ﷺ, like, oh, let us make sure we always live in difficulties in adversity, in difficult times, and uh, we would rather have some kind of calamity because we will truly triumph uh, by being patient through it. Not really like that. So that's why he said, remember always, as the Quran mentioned in Surah Al-Inshirah, hardship is definitely followed by ease. And many commentators, I know quite a few actually, who will say it's not actually by ease, it's like double ease. So when there is usr, but usr is a little bit different from uh, karb. Usr is real hardship. It's like asir, it's like uh, difficult, truly difficult, okay? Hardship. That is followed by ease and then again ease. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed like that. And this is like sunnatullah. Allah's decree and his whole creation actually runs on these formulas and it cannot be done in any other way because if it was in any other way it would not be balanced or proportionate so this is basically a, a very strong lesson I would say in Aqeedah so let us have one more glance at the entire tradition this is like I would say a medium-sized hadith uh, but there were two narrations and uh, the second one slightly introduced uh, different concepts as well from the first one. But they are things which uh, run through both narrations and they should be like the main lesson for us to take away from this session. 
But before I go into lessons or uh, points that we can summarize from this uh, hadith, I want to reflect on the language of this hadith one more time. Uh, we already said, uh, so Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, he narrated this hadith to us. Uh, of course, so we understand when, he, when the Prophet said, Ya Ghulam, oh boy, uh, it's more than easy for everyone to conclude, isn't it, that it was Abdullah. Uh, who was the boy in question. But what uh, I said to you, like, is really important to, to, to pay attention to is his more or less age. We don't have to bother too much with the exact age. Was he nine and a half or 12? No, the fact that he was a ghulam is important. So this is like something to do with language, okay? So ghulam, yeah, we can basically, even if he didn't have any other supportive evidence to determine his age, how can we conclude his age from the term itself. This is how rich the Arabic language is. So when you use, if you are eloquent in Arabic, every term you use, you, you should know what it means. So when you say Ya Ghulam, you would usually address a person, a sabi, min heen in fitamihi ila al So it's someone uh, who went from breastfeeding until he reached the age of puberty. That's why I said I wouldn't be bothered too much whether he was 10 or 11 or 12, but I would certainly not accept that he was more than 14. But most, like I said to you, we have additional evidence that tells us, uh, because there are some commentators who will even say where, where this incident happened, the actual location and so on and so forth, which year of Hijra, and knowing his age and all of that, they came up and told us he was around 10 years old. And what amazes me is, the Prophet, our true master, teacher, yeah, from among the humans, he's the role model we need to follow, the role model. He's actually giving a very strong, deep, deep teaching lesson to a 10-year-old. Okay? So we can't really complain that oh, uh, we, we, we can't understand our religion, uh, our tradition, or our theology. I actually believe that... Uh, Islamic uh, theology or creed is very simple to understand. We are not meant to rationalize and keep rationalizing it. The main thing is just to, to understand the crux of it and to know those points like the basics, the very basics, tenets of faith, and memorize them and believe in them. That's the point, not to rationalize over them. So this is related to language. Another term which is curious, in, in my opinion, in this hadith, and it happened in other, in other sayings of the Prophet is this, and in the Quran as well, kalimat, okay? This term kalimat, some words. I mean, of course, even in English, it's become a phrase uh, quite common. So uh, why, why do they say like this in Arabic language? They say lil because he was not giving him a list of 124 tenets of faith, you know, points. He just taught him a few uh, words, a few phrases. That's why they say in Arabic, kalimat. Yeah, kalimat. So uh, they say that because uh, they are very few and to make it easier to memorize. That's why they say that. Okay. So, but you might say, oh, but there was quite a few. <laughs> okay, I wouldn't say for a 10-year-old year that was difficult to remember. 
maybe for a 67 year old might be more difficult but for a 10 year old no it's sahli hifz okay this one and then this term ihfazillah is the crux of the whole uh, session i would say and tradition ihfazillah well in arabic in english look they gave us several different translations be watchful of allah first safeguard allah safeguard his rights second then safeguard the commandments of allah this is the same translator giving us three different things for the same phrase ihfazillah how come because really they could mean all of those things in english but what it really really means like i said to you he gave here i said this is not a translation but a commentary yeah i will go for this safeguard the commandments of allah but i will not say only the commandments i thought about this phrase very much so and if you look in into commentaries which are in arabic on this hadith they actually say not ihfaz awamir allah It's not just that. Our religion is not just about obligations. It means ihfaz dinahu. Safeguard the religion of Allah as a whole. That's what it means in my opinion. It's not just the obligations. Remember that. So when I give the heading for this session when they want to publish it on the website I'm going to struggle but I'll come up with something like that more holistic than narrow. So what it means ihfaz dinahu بملازمه تقواه واجتناب ما لا يرضاه that is the best definition in my opinion so you safeguard the religion of allah as a whole by having taqwa and doing and saying only that which pleases allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that will include obligations and staying away from prohibitions meaning doing the obligations staying away from prohibition but not only that putting up good manners good conduct because what is more pleasing to allah according to many hadith than good character khuluqun hasan that's pleasing to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so in that sense ihfazillah uh, is a very uh, uh, i have to say very uh, amazing i would say and deep very very enti- very very deep phrase by the prophet ali sallallahu alaihi very comprehensive like you, you can't come up with anything more comprehensive like this ihfaz dinaka maybe you could say and the quran mentions something like it in surah zumar and other place places like that lahuddina mukhlisina lahuddina something like that and this phrase in my opinion is very close to it ihfazillah because otherwise what does the quran say fallahu khayrun hafiza wa huwa arham allah is the best of of those who safeguard allah doesn't need us to look after him he's looking after us and he's looking after everything else in his entire creation so it definitely means uh, following the religion of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in its entirety a very holistic uh, approach indeed in every aspect of allah's deen and allah will be with you yeah you can say like that and tujahak here means ma'aka uh, so when when the secondary wire said amamaka before you in front of you again it's not just amamak it means ma'aka 
in front of you, on any side. In fact, it's not even sides. If you read uh, theology, you know, some books of Aqidah, you will clearly see when they talk about this notion of witness of Allah, Allah is with us. Uh, you can't really say like, Abdullah ibn Abbas actually he did say like when he tried to explain that ayah in Surah Al-A'raf, when, when, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the, the, the ways from, or let's say directions from which shaitan approaches us, attacks us. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't mention from the above. He mentioned shaitan will come to us from in front of us, behind us, from our right, from our left, beneath us, but not from above. Because Allah's mercy is covering us, Allah is safeguarding us, protecting us from the above, and he, he prevented, Allah out of his mercy prevented shaitan. It's like special place Allah say, saved for us, Allah's uh, servants. Uh, but when you deep, deep look into it, it's not even like that. You can't even just say like, uh, it's up this way, up is the noble, Allah is up there. Because on different places, that's facing towards down when you look at the vast universe, the entire creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So limiting Allah in any direction or space, it doesn't work, it doesn't apply. So the best, therefore, explanation of this notion of ma'iyatullah, the witness of Allah, Allah is with us, and the proximity, the closeness of Allah to his slave or servant is Allah knows best what it entails. The actual details of what it is. How is Allah on my side, in front of me, with me? Allah knows best. But what the ulama say is that certainly he has full knowledge of your, whereabout, your whereabouts. So you, for you it makes sense. When you lean towards this, you are leaning towards this direction. When you turn on your right, that really matches. Because if, if you are crossing the road and the traffic will, will come on this way, you've got to look at that side to protect yourself. So for you and I, and you can say the rest of Allah's creation, this applies. It is very important to be aware of your directions. But when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is irrelevant. He is far and beyond and above all of those limitations, all of that. So Allah knows best, but certainly he's fully aware of our whereabouts. That's one. And the second uh, point some ulama tried to suggest and say, uh, what it actually means because the Quran is, mentions it so, so in so so many places is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is uh, answering your call. Yeah? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is hearing your plea. So the person who reaches this kind of hal, like we said, like think of adversity and good times. So you are praying to Allah in difficulties, yeah, in difficult times. Allah is hearing your call. That's what it is. Yeah? In that sense, Allah's witness, Allah is with you, means Allah uh, certainly answered your call. It again doesn't mean Allah answered your call. You must see the re response in some tangible thing. Yeah? Like something has to come to you that you can feel, touch, physical, uh, for you to understand that he answered your call. Not like that again. Allah answered your call could mean uh, answer your call in many different ways. It doesn't have to be uh, something to do with dunya or matter. 
it could be something to do with your dunyawi life, your worldly life, but abstract. Patience. He, he increased your patience for you, increased your understanding of deen. Uh, he gave you more forbearance. But it could be that you didn't gain anything that will benefit you in your worldly life, but Allah, for example, ordered those angels who are in charge of, of strong winds, and the storm simply didn't de- demolish your house or demolished it relatively a little bit. And that was the answer to your prayer, although you prayed for a new Porsche, <laughs> but your windows didn't get broken. That was the answer. Or it might not be even that. It could be that something beautiful is awaiting you in the hereafter, and it looks like, according to one hadith, I don't know how sound that hadith is, most of us would wish that some of our du'as, especially of worldly things that we prayed for, were not actually answered in the most literal sense, but the beautiful things were waiting for us in the next life when it really is uh, you know, important, when it really matters. Okay, so that term, tujahaka, means ma'aka, wa ma'iyatullahi Allahu ta'ala a'lamu biha. Okay, so basically, you can also understand it that Allah is looking after you, supporting you, He's there for you, answering your calls and your prayers, and, and, and something like that. So here, uh, the Prophet, in a way, is uh, explaining a little bit more like uh, what it means to uh, dedicate your life to Allah's deen. So you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to assist you with something. So he's teaching him a very strong you know, lesson in aqidah, basically. So, and it is really like this, and I'll explain to you. I don't want you to misunderstand this point. Yes, when there's something really important, and what I really mean here is something very important, like... Let's say a turning point in your career. Like a, a, a key phase in your life. You know, growing from, you're no longer a baby. No, no, not even a toddler. The shift from toddler to youth. No, no, youth. You, got, you are about to get married, right? And you are about to do something really important. On those issues, it will not be of sound aqeel, I would say, or of the strongest iman, it will manifest some kind of weaknesses in our faith, or you, I should say tawakkul. If we did not seek assistance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, it's not like first and foremost, you pray to Allah and say, It's like, I fully put my trust on you, Allah. You're going to make the best turning point for me in my life, the best shift, move, step, whatever you want to call on big things. Like this. It is like that. The reason I said all of that is because, of course, you might be carrying something in your house, yeah, and you have like a family of six, and you underestimated your uh, strength, or maybe you know that usually you can carry a table of that size and weight, but all of a sudden something happened to your muscles. And you know it's going to fall, break down, or actually hit you on your... And your son is there, he's 22 years old. 
Of course, you're going to say, oh, Ali, just come here and give me a hand. <laughs> That's different, right? That's different. So when there are other things like, oh, please, uh, you see, I'm carrying something. It's delicate. Okay, and you tell your wife, please open the door for me and keep it for me. Like that. There's no problem with that. So the ulama, they, mashallah, nicely told us. This, of course, means about very big things and the true reliance on Allah. Yeah, the true meaning of tawakkul is that uh, on every uh, important matter and in real reality, you know, like in the deepest meaning, we, of course, rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we seek his assistance and his alone. But when it comes to small things in our daily lives where we need help and support and assistance, you can ask absolutely anyone. It doesn't even have to be anyone who is related to you. Anyone on the street, you can ask, can you just hold this for me? Or, excuse me, I got a little bit lost. This is my first time in London. I'm looking for the London Zoo or the British Library. I know I'm somewhere here, but please help me. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's human to do that and human to help someone who asked you to assist them in such matter. So, this is important. So, talabul i'ana ala amr min umuriddin. Okay? So, when it comes to, to your religion, your spirituality, who is the one who can uh, improve your spiritual state? No other but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, that, that is really the meaning. So, when, when you pray, you seek for forgiveness. Who it is that forgives us our sins? No other than Allah. So we only can seek forgiveness from Allah, for example. Tawbah I was talking about. You turn with all your heart and your soul and your uh, limbs to Allah. Like that. That's what it means. So when it comes to your religion, of course, you always will turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, I can explain, oh, but what if I need someone to teach me how to pray? I don't know how to make ablution. Again, you're just asking for an instruction, but it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who inspired you towards that. And you deeply prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to assist you in your deen, uh, in, your, in, in, your, uh, in your life, in general. Okay, and if there's any other term, okay. Rufi'ati uh, al-aqlam. Okay, and... Uh, these two terms I would say maybe need explanation again like I said to you in, in English translation they translated it you know literally the pens had been lifted and the ink had dried up so uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know he decided how to begin creating his creation uh, what to create first second last and, and how to name things and, and, and what kind of matter they will consist of. Allah made it like that. So it does seem that qalam, uh, pen, uh, is, is something really important. Plays, uh, it's like a very important, you can say, piece in the big puzzle of Allah's creation. And we understand that here it says al-aqlam in plural uh, terms. It doesn't really make a big difference. So what we understand uh, on this topic, we can't fully, fully understand it because it's, uh, it's something that is not part of this world, clearly. We understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, among his creation, he created the pen, the, the pen, the very unique, special pen that will write down the divine decree. Whatever Allah decreed, decided will take place, is recorded by that special pen. And where it is recorded, it's called a suhuf. <laughs> or 
I mean, some scholars will say the preserved tablet, but I would say maybe the preserved tablet is one aspect of it, as suhuf is even more than that. Like where everything, everything is recorded, written down. Again, we don't know. We have no access to that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided like that. But the point which is important in my opinion is this one. Okay, so he's teaching him a lesson in aqeedah. And Allah decided and commanded, ordered the pen to write down everything before we even existed. And that's the lesson. So in one way you can say like, subhanAllah, the pen seems to be more important than the scholar. The ink of the scholar, you know this is a philosophical argument. The ink of the scholar is more powerful than the scholar. Because uh, it is basically the legacy that he leaves behind him, which is written down and passed on. I mean, it doesn't have to be necessarily all noted down, literally, really, technically speaking. It could be oral tradition, but definitely passed on. But to, to preserve something, you need to note it down. So this notion, as you can see now, has been mentioned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala since the beginning of Allah's creation, since the beginning of the time. And the lesson for really for all of us is that if there's something important, a very important, useful thought, you write it down before you forget it. Likewise, you write things down which are useful and that could be passed on to, to, to your own children but that also next generations and they can all benefit from it. That is important. Secondly, uh, we as humans were created the very last in Allah's creation. I don't want to say we are the least significant of all of Allah's creation. We can't say that because the evidence in the Quran is saying something else. But Allah knows the exact wisdom of it. Now, the point, final point here is that uh, you and I will never understand how does the divine decree work. Uh, the, the free will, the, 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 you know, like the concept of predestination, destiny, fate and destiny. But one thing you can understand is this, whatever is going to happen, okay, whatever, is going, whatever was meant to happen, Allah had knowledge of it before it even happened. That is the bottom line you can say on the predestination and free will. Are we forced to do things? No. Do we have absolute free will, free choice of will? No. Our, our choice of will is relative. There is some free will we have, but it's relative in comparison to Allah's absolute free will. Mashiatullah, iradatullah. His will is absolute because nothing but what Allah decrees happens and what Allah wills happens. So basically you just need to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us to choose from A or B throughout our life. He knew of everything. A road, B road. He even knew what choice we are going to make, yet he did not force us. It's, to, it's all in his knowledge. But he gave us the ability to choose this or that and to nurture certain traits which will make us lean towards this or that way. And this is all mentioned in the Quran. So, yeah, uh, or you can talk about your soul. So all of this, this is what it really means. You can read that surah as well. Allah knew that our a'mal will be shatta, 
differences will be there. People will do good and bad. That's why you can clearly classify people in this broad category of good and not good. Don't say bad. Good and not good. So the bottom really line is that Allah is all-knowing. Not, nothing escapes Allah's knowledge and he knew exactly uh, what we're going to do, uh, how we're going to uh, live our lives, what we're going to choose, yet he did not force us to even believe in him. Subhanallah. فَمَنْ شَاءَ فَالْيُؤْمِنُ وَمَنْ شَاءَ So he let us choose, but he gave us certain things, techniques, qualities, uh, you can say ingredients, uh, attributes uh, that can really help us to choose what is good. And that is really the biggest lesson here. So safeguard Allah's religion, you will be safeguarded. Okay? You will be looked after. By who? The one who is the most safeguarding of all. Khayrun hafidha, And the most merciful of all. And try to work on yourself Inshallah ta'ala, you will always lean towards good. And you will always find yourself amongst the good. Good company and good places in a good context, in a healthy environment. And uh, maybe the final point is, remember that uh, after difficulty comes ease. And if there was no difficulty, we would, our life experience yeah, would have been much poorer. We wouldn't be as intelligent, as strong, and the life wouldn't be, it would be boring. It wouldn't be as interesting. And that's why we say calamities are part of Allah's creation. They were always meant to be there, including illnesses and diseases and everything like that, for our benefit. None of that can harm or benefit Allah. Whatever he uh, gave us, whatever he created for us, for us to use, is really for us to take yeah, the utmost from it and to benefit ourselves and the entire mankind, or we can say the rest of Allah's creation. I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the right uh, understanding of his deen. And I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, to make us among those who will always turn to Allah in, in prayer, uh, in repentance, seek constantly his forgiveness, and among those uh, who will always seek help and assistance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in good and bad times. And we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, that, that, that he brings about ease for us. Uh, and if there is a difficulty and calamity, we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he uplifts it so that we can have a breather and inshallah ta'ala carry on in our servitude. أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله العظيم لي ولكم فاستغفروه إنه هو الغفور الرحيم سبحانك اللهم نستغفرك ونتوب إليك ونصلي ونسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا